0: listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer www.citr.ca Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show coming right up with Gavin Walker. First of all, we would like to welcome you to The Jazz Show on CITR, FM 101.9, or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and we have a full agenda of music this evening, covering all kinds of bases, and of course we'll be talking about the great, soon-to-arrive, up-and-coming event, and that is... Our sponsor, the Vancouver International Jazz Festival, or more correctly, the TD Vancouver International Jazz Festival, because Toronto Dominion Bank is the major sponsor for the festival, and a very good sponsor they are. So, uh, all kinds of events uh, beginning this Friday, June the 20th. It's really hard to believe that it's right on uh, our doorstep. June 20th until July 1st. And we'll be talking a little more about the Jazz Festival as uh, tonight's show progresses. As a matter of fact, let's hear something about the Jazz Festival right off, and then I'll tell you what the show is all
1: about. The TD Vancouver International Jazz Festival... June 20th to July 1st 1,800 artists from all over the world 300 concerts 35 indoor and outdoor venues Get ready for the best 12 days of music The TD Vancouver International Jazz Festival June 20th to July 1st Go to vanjazzfest.ca for details
0: And there you go, vanjazzfest.ca, that's the uh, website for the TD International Jazz Festival. And now, on to our show, my name's Gavin Walker, by the way, as if I don't know whether I told you that or not, Um, but uh, if I haven't, I'm telling you it again. So there you go. Our jazz feature tonight, shortly after 11 o'clock, as usual, is a band that I call a living room band. In other words. As a matter of fact, the cover of the album, of the original LP album, they're all playing in a living room because there's enough room for everybody. There's no drums, no bass, no large instruments. There's uh, uh, Jimmy Giuffre, who is the leader, a multi-instrumentalist, clarinetist, baritone saxophone, and tenor saxophone. Bob Brookmeyer on valve trombone. And Jim Hall, the legendary Jim Hall on guitar. That's it. Nothing more. And the music is absolutely superb. The album is called Travelin' Light. And Jimmy Giuffre was just such a a unique musician. He he changed his style um, many, many times throughout his long career. He passed away in 2008, uh, and he was 86 years old but he changed directions so many times. um, And I call him the quiet avant-gardist and went through different phases, and all those phases are important. Uh, Musician Miles Davis did the same thing. Of course, Miles had a a huge name and charisma, and he was Miles Davis, so people knew about it. Whereas Jimmy Giuffre was a little more um, under the... uh, whatever, you know, under the wire, and and so uh, his music is not as well known, but it should be, and it's currently being reevaluated by many people. There are essays on what this man actually accomplished, and so we're going to hear this album called Travel and Light with this living room band, as I uh, call it. Uh, it's made up of um, Jimmy Jewfrey compositions, plus some uh, really neat standard tunes that you would not expect jazz musicians to play. And um, I think you'll find the music uh, quite um, delightful and, and uh, it is rhythmic without actually having a rhythm section. Uh, it swings, it has all the elements of jazz. And this is where Jimmy Giuffre's genius was. Um, he He would have this these bands with odd instrumentation and yet at it all it, it couldn't be called any other kind of music except jazz music his influences on this one are pastoral music folk music the blues and jazz and they all they all combine together in this three-piece band so that's going to be our jazz feature tonight the unique music of Jimmy Giuffre. I'm going to play some uh, of his larger orchestral music earlier on in the show, so I hope you can stay around for that. I'd like to open the show with a musician who couldn't read music, never had a lesson in his life, took to the instrument, which was the piano, like a virtuoso, could play anything by ear, could play in any key without any difficulty. He didn't know that keys like F-sharp and C-sharp um, were difficult keys. He simply played where a tune wherever his fingers lay, and he could hear it and play it correctly. Um, he was truly uh, a, a genius and created one of the most distinctive piano styles ever. And he also transcended jazz music. He was a very successful artist in that people that hated jazz liked his music because it was so accessible and so happy. He made people feel good. I'm talking about Errol Garner, and it was his birthday uh, on Sunday, and I was just realized what an amazing musician he was. And... Um, Mike Ladon, my good friend who's been out to Vancouver many times, posted something about Errol Garner, and, and he, he just said he was such a natural uh, genius. And of course, a lot of people, um, he said, I, I, I would not want this to be an example to young musicians who think they could do something that Errol Garner did. In other words, uh, not learn how to read music. Um, play by ear, strictly, uh, all that kind of stuff. Garner was just an exceptional musician and human being and gifted and was was just such a natural. Interestingly enough, my one of my dear friends in this world uh, worked with Errol Garner for years, and I'm talking about Wyatt Ruther, a great bass player who lived in Vancouver for about 15 years, and he and I were, were pretty good buddies. He told me some interesting Garner stories um, when they worked together and recorded together. Garner never told the band, uh, and it was usually a trio, just bass and drums, but he never told anybody what he was going to play. He was much like Thelonious Monk in that way, uh, although not as austere as Thelonious Monk. Garner would merely smile, start to play a tune, and if you were the bass player, you had to look and listen to the introduction of the tune, because every tune that he played had an introduction. So that would give the bass player a hint as to what the tune was going to be. And Wyatt told me, he said, I used to look at Errol's left hand and the little finger. The little finger would tell me what key I was going to play that tune in. Because he said, Garner played tunes in every key. It was uh, As I said before, wherever his fingers fell... It, that's that's the key he played it in so <laughs> that was that was kind of interesting and he never told the band what he was going to play um he would play a whole bunch of tunes and then of course uh during his in-person gigs he would turn to the audience and then explain all the tunes that he played if he could remember them because you know he would play long sets and, <laughs> and sometimes he couldn't remember the the tune that he played but he was such a charming uh individual People called him Sir Elf. He was, uh, he was just a very, very happy man. Happiest when he was playing music. And there was nothing weird or neurotic or all of any of this kind of stuff about Errol Garner. And of course, as I mentioned before, his music transcended jazz. He, he played in uh, some of the very, very high-end um, clubs and so on that did not normally feature jazz. And his agent was a gentleman named Saul Hurock, who mostly booked classical people. Garner was his only client as a jazz musician. And Saul was able to put Errol Garner into some places where jazz musicians wouldn't even think about playing. And he became that popular. Anyway, we're going to listen to some Errol Garner. This is my favorite recording by Errol. This was done in 1954, 53, actually, um, in uh, New York City, with my good friend Wyatt Ruther on bass, and uh, from the Midwest, Errol's drummer of the time, Eugene Fats, heard on drums. And we're going to hear three tunes, maybe four, but we'll start with three. We're going to open up with uh, Errol's incredible version of Duke Ellington and Juan Tizal's Caravan, a tune that everybody knows. Then we're going to go to Ism Jones' great tune that uh, most jazz musicians play, There Is No Greater Love. And after that, we're going to turn to a tune that was written by George Shearing, the most popular tune that he ever wrote. It's the Lullaby of Birdland. And we may hear one more after that. But I'd just like to open the show to pay tribute to this one of the greatest of all jazz pianists, and one of the most distinctive, Mr. Errol Garner. Distinctive piano stylings of the one and only Errol Garner, born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. His brother uh, Linton Garner played here for uh, for years in Vancouver and was uh, definitely a mainstay of the Vancouver jazz scene. Errol sadly died of cardiac arrest in 1977. He was only 54 years old, but he had by then he had made his mark on uh, Most piano players and uh, just one of the great stylists and also just a musician that, uh, you know, (laughs) such an exceptional talent. Um, That kind of talent doesn't uh, exist. A lot of people say, well, gee, you know, I I could learn the piano and learn how to play like Earl Garner. I wouldn't have to read music and go practice and go through all that hard stuff. Uh, well, <laughs> you, you just try it. Uh, Errol Garner was a natural talent, and he performed here with his trio, his working trio of the time, uh, with my old friend, who I miss uh, terribly. Wonderful uh, person and musician. We were we were pretty tight. Uh, Wyatt Ruther on bass, and Eugene Fats Herd on drums. Fats Herd. And we heard a whole bunch of tunes uh, played by Errol Garner from uh, one of my all-time favorite albums. Uh, we opened with Juan T. Zoll's and Duke Ellington's Caravan. Then we went to Ism Jones' great uh, tune called There Is No Greater Love. And then George Shearing's most popular tune, The Lullaby of Birdland. Then we went to uh, an Errol Garner original called uh, The 7-Eleven Jump. And the final tune that we heard was his most famous composition. He just made that thing up. And this was the very first recording of a tune that has become immortal. Everybody knows the tune. Uh, Words were put to it later. The tune, of course, was Misty. And Errol wrote that tune all by himself, just sat down at the piano and kind of made it up and went from there and became his most well-known composition. So a little tribute to this great musician. I hope you enjoyed the music of Errol Garner. As I said, he transcended jazz. In other words, he was able to play in in clubs that uh, didn't uh, necessarily feature jazz. But uh, he was uh, um, most appreciated. He did all kinds of concerts, of course, and he was booked by one of the great classical music impresarios, Saul Hurock, and. Uh, uh, Errol Garner was Saul's only jazz client. And um, people that hated jazz music went to hear Errol Garner because he made, he made you feel so good uh, to just watch him and, and to listen to his incredible piano styling. So we hope you enjoyed that little foray into uh, the distinctive piano stylings of the one and only Errol Garner. We're going to come back with a musician who just passed away, a singer by the name of Little Jimmy Scott. And I'll tell you a little more about that and uh, who he was and his legacy after we uh, hear a couple of messages. First of all, this one.
1: Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC.
0: At the weather here, and uh, tonight is partly cloudy with a low of 11. This is really a, a nice evening uh, tonight. It seemed very peaceful, no wind or anything like that. Tomorrow is slated to be a very nice day. It's supposed to be sunny all day with a low of 11 and a high of 20. And then on Wednesday, a bit of a downturn, cloudy with a low of 12 and a high of 18. Thursday is a 40% chance of a shower with uh, a low of 11 or a low of 12 and a high of 21. Then Friday is uh, no precipitation in the forecast, but cloudy with a low of 13, high of 19. You never know uh, with that kind of weather. um, You might get a a cloud with some raindrops in it. But then the weekend looks pretty good. Uh, They're calling for Saturday and Sunday, both days, sunny with a low of 12 and a high of 22. So that's uh, that's very nice, and a lot, there'll be a lot of outdoor stuff. Uh, the opening of the jazz festival, the Robson Square thing, and all that kind of stuff—it's all going to be outdoors. And so, um, I know the jazz festival folks are just praying for good weather, because uh, you know, who wants to stand out in, in in the rain? And it's so much more fun if it's sunny. Well, life is more fun if it's sunny, right? My name's Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9, or on your computer, www.ca. One of the legendary singers in jazz music is a gentleman named Little Jimmy Scott. He was admired by the likes of Ray Charles, Lou Reed, Madonna, Quincy Jones, just about everybody. Jimmy Scott was one of the most soulful uh, ballad singers. Uh, he, he could get inside a song and bring out the, um, all, the, all the pathos and, and the pain sometimes within those songs, and also the happiness and the joy. Jimmy Scott possessed a very unique voice. And that voice was an androgynous voice. It was caused as a result of him being born with a very, very rare genetic condition called the Kalman syndrome, which meant that he never passed puberty. He never matured past puberty physically. So the voice remained what it was when he was a little boy. Um Jimmy Scott had, had uh, a very up-and-down career, um, a lot of very, very unhappy moments. He, he was... Um, many people who heard him, of course, and didn't know that he was a man, thought he was a woman, of course, because of his voice and the timbre of his voice. But um, a lot of his career uh, stopped and started... Uh, due to just circumstance, uh, one of the first uh, hit recordings that he made was with Lionel Hampton, but his name never was on the recording. So everybody said, who the hell is that singer? That He's incredible, or she's incredible. Uh, and so th- his name went uncredited. Then he signed with a, a record label in the early 60s, and uh, it uh, made a great album which is now a collector's item, but it was quickly pulled from the stores because apparently there was a contract dispute with another label. Stuff like this happened to him. And, uh, of course, Jimmy had a, 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 a rather uh, tempestuous life. He was actually married five times. And uh, his, uh, his, his last wife, um, Jeannie Scott, was the one that reported his death. He was 88 years old when he died at his home in Las Vegas. He had um, had cardiac arrest after a period of illness. But his most successful time in his career was in the latter part of his life, after the year 2000. And we're going to hear an album uh, or some uh, three pieces from an album called Dream. And he's accompanied here, very distinguished company, Junior Mance on piano, Ron Carter on bass, Peyton Crosley on drums, and Milt Jackson on vibes. And on the second tune, a very close friend of mine who lives in New York, we worked together here in Vancouver, we're in, we were in several bands, a tenor saxophonist by the name of Patience Higgins, and he is on, the, on track number two. And we're going to hear three songs by Little Jimmy Scott as a tribute to, to him, and, and those of you that have never heard Little Jimmy Scott will be, I'm sure, intrigued by his voice. The first tune is a, is a standard tune uh, written by Henry Nemo. The tune is a very famous tune called Don't Take Your Love From Me. And the second tune uh, was uh, written by um, George Gershwin and Duke Ellington. And, it, and the tune is called It Shouldn't Happen to a Dream. And that's where my friend Patience Higgins plays on, track two. And the final tune is a great old standard written by Alan Freed. And uh, called I Cried For You. So here then as a tribute to the late little Jimmy Scott, his unique vocal stylings.
2: And the sky Feels blue Tear up Petal From a rose, And The rose Weeps too Take your Away from mine Mine Will surely break My life Is yours to make So please Keep this Spark away Would you take the wings from birds So birds can fly Would you take the ocean Just aside, all this your heart won't let you do, darling. What I beg of you, don't take your love from me. flowers get happy and dance in the lane the darkness no longer his deep a cloudburst of moonbeams is falling like rain each time Night, cutting capers again. Just for a while, you'll be with me, and then the bubble will break. Again, I wake up. It shouldn't happen.
0: Legendary little Jimmy Scott passed away last Thursday, 88 years old, and most of his significant recordings were um, done in the latter part of his life. As I mentioned before, his career had a lot of fits and starts and didn't go anywhere, and um, he, he left music for long periods of time, worked as a uh, a tailor, a waiter, all, all this kind of stuff. This uh, album was recorded in 1994, and uh, it featured Jimmy, Little Jimmy, with uh, an all-star group. We opened uh, with Jimmy, accompanied by uh, the great Junior Mance at the piano, Ron Carter on bass, and Peyton Crosley on drums. This second tune that we heard, um, the tenor saxophone, was played by my old friend Patience Higgins. And um, the third tune, of course, was Mr. Scott was accompanied by the same uh, rhythm section, but with Milt Jackson on vibes. And of course, Jimmy had the respect of all the musicians. The tunes we heard, the first one was Don't Take Your Love From Me. The second one with Patience Higgins is uh, It Shouldn't Happen to a Dream. And the final tune with Milt Jackson... I cried for you So a small tribute to this uh, Incredibly unique Singer with this uh, Rather strange Androgynous voice And uh, haunting And of course his way of uh, uh, Dealing with the the tunes Little Jimmy Scott And he was little He was just a very very small man He was uh, just uh, He was under uh, Five foot tall and as I said before, he, was, uh, he had this uh, rare genetic condition which uh, uh, prevented uh, him from experiencing puberty. And uh, it was called Kalman's Syndrome, and extremely rare. And of course, uh, one of the most unique singing voices, Jimmy Scott. Little Jimmy Scott. Jimmy Giuffre is our jazz feature. I'd just like to remind you that my name is Gavin Walker, and, and you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Jimmy Jufree is our jazz feature artist this evening. This unique musician, um, of course, is a multi-instrumentalist. He had one of the most distinctively beautiful sounds on the clarinet, um, he had his own voice on tenor saxophone and also played baritone saxophone, uh, was a composer, and uh, was in the legendary Woody Herman Second Herd, which was one of the most the foremost uh, big bands of the late 40s. And uh, Jimmy Giuffre took Al Cohn's place in the band playing tenor saxophone. But before that... Before he actually joined the band, he gave Woody a chart, and it became the most played tune by Woody Herman. He kept that in the band right up to the very end. Every edition of Woody Herman's band, the Herman Herds, uh, played this tune. We're going to hear the original version of the Four Brothers, and that is, con- that, uh, interestingly enough, the four brothers refer to um, Stan Getz, Herbie Stewart, Zoot Sims on tenor saxophones, and the great baritone saxophone, one of the first baritone saxophone, modern jazz baritone saxophonist, Serge Chaloff. And uh, they were the bad boys of the band, but of course they were the stars of the band too, uh, of the second herd. And um, Jimmy wrote the tune for it and called it The Four Brothers. And actually, that is kind of a school of um, tenor saxophone playing. Uh, there's a lot of people that sort of uh, have the play in the Four Brothers style, uh, aside from the gentleman I mentioned. Uh, the lead alto player is um, Sam Marowitz, but uh, it features all the uh, all the saxophone players uh, on on this tune. The tune is, as I said, called Four Brothers, and it was written by Jimmy Jewfrey. And of course, that was his first claim to fame was writing this tune and the arrangement for the great uh, Herman Hurd, the second uh, Woody Herman Hurd, and. Uh, uh, incredible piece of music and and uh, as i said we're going to hear the original version of this um, on drums one of the great big band drummers don lamond and that's a special art in itself playing with a big band walt yoder is the bassist uh gene Sargent on guitar freddie Ot- otis on piano and of course the four brothers saxophones and of course all the other people in the band we hear a little uh, Uh, Solo by Woody Herman as well on on clarinet on this piece. Uh, So here then is uh, the first sort of tribute to our jazz feature artist this evening, his first composition, his first sort of step into jazz stardom, um, Four Brothers. Just a little over three minutes, and uh, what a statement that makes. Four brothers. And of course, the, uh, the soloists on there the first soloist was Zoot Sims, the second soloist was baritonist Serge Chaloff, the third one was the more obscure Herbie Stewart, and the final saxophone soloist was Stan Getz. And of course, all with very distinctive sounds. And of course, they had their little exchange at the end. But you have to say your say in, in just a few bars. And of course, that piece, of course, remained one of the great classics of modern jazz. Four brothers. Now, Jimmy Jufrey, of course, went on to, uh, do a Two examples of the writing of Jimmy Jufrey, a most uh, incredibly talented musician who kind of went in every direction and did everything so well. And we heard two pieces. The first piece was called Farrow, and it was written for a very large um, brass ensemble with everything trombones, French horns, tubas, trumpets, um, kettle drums. And uh, that was the first piece we heard. Um, And the second piece was a smaller ensemble with some uh, reed instruments, um, some brass, vibes, piano, uh, drums, bass, etc., etc. Both pieces had no improvisation in them. Everything was written. And um, the second piece was called Suspensions. And uh, both of them very, very fascinating kind of pieces and and the mind of uh, of jimmy jufri i've got some other stuff that i'll have to play sometime uh with jimmy playing clarinet with a string ensemble and it's it's not really jazz um it makes no pretensions to be jazz but it is great music um we'll do that some other time uh i uh, i've been enjoying uh, that that music uh, at, at home, and I find it very fascinating, and I think I'm going to present it on uh, one of the future editions of the jazz show. Meanwhile, we are going back to an event. I was attended the Monterey Jazz Festival uh, for many years in a row, um, 1964, 1965, and 1966. and I remember. 1966 in particular, because um, I went down to uh, I drove down to Seattle and then met my friends um, Sonny Buxton, who is one of the leading um, jazz uh, aficionados of of Seattle, uh, was also a very very fine um, radio personality. And um, a couple of musicians, one of, two of my favorites, uh, singer Woody Woodhouse, and saxophonist Joe Brazil. Woody Woodhouse, of course, is wonderful. We'll we'll play some Woody Woodhouse sometime on the show. Uh, Joe Brazil, of course, recorded with Joe Co- John Coltrane and played with everybody. Joe was originally from Detroit, and um, we all drove down from Seattle to the Monterey Jazz Festival in Joe's Cadillac. And uh, that was a wonderful trip, and uh, just the whole thing, I remember it so much. But uh, we got to hang out in the afternoon uh, at the Hunt Club, which was the exclusive musicians' club. Um, And we got uh, hung out there and and, uh, talked to all the cats that were playing on the scene, people like John Lewis, Milt Jackson, the Modern Jazz Quartet, and especially Cannonball Adderley, because I had known Cannonball for a long time. And so it was great to see him, and and his band was going to be performing. Anyway, Cannonball sat down with us uh, as we were enjoying a little taste in a sandwich, and Cannonball says, you know who's going to steal the show this year? And we all kind of looked and said, well, no idea. Duke Ellington? Uh, Who? Uh, You? Uh, He said, no, man. Charles Lloyd. He said, you have never heard a band like Charles Lloyd's and he has a young piano player in the band that you cats probably don't know about but you're sure going to know about him after you hear him you know about Charles Lloyd you know about his bass player Cecil McBee and you know about his drummer the young fellow Jack DeJohnette. but you don't know about the piano player so you know I said well okay uh, who's the piano player? Well, you don't know him, Gavin, but his name is Keith Jarrett. And I said, yeah, well, okay, <laughs> okay, i have never heard of him. And he said, but you're going to hear about him after you hear him, believe me. And he raved, and he said, that's who's going to steal the show this year, because that band is one of the hottest bands that you're ever likely to hear. And um, so uh, we said, uh, yeah, okay, well, we'll take your word for it. And, of course, the next day... It was an afternoon concert, and uh, the opening, and it was a beautiful day, of course, in, in, in Monterey. The sun was shining, and uh, it was just such a, a, a marvelous afternoon and a relaxed feeling in the crowd. And, of course, the, the MC Jimmy Lyons, came out to introduce Charles Lloyd and his quartet, and uh, they began the concert with the piece we're going to hear right now. And, of course, it completely blew everybody away. Charles Lloyd, of course, is coming to this year's Jazz Festival. With uh, He won't be with this band, but, of course, he is now a jazz icon and an elder statesman, but he's still playing beautifully. And uh, Charles Lloyd is one of the, one of the concerts at this year's Jazz Festival that I think a lot of people are looking forward to because he always delivers. Anyway, we're going to take you back to Monterey, September 8th, 1966, or September 18th, 1966, and the band, as I mentioned before, a gentleman who I'd never heard of until I heard him, Keith Jarrett on piano, Cecil McBee on bass, Jack DeJohnette on drums, and Charles Lloyd on tenor saxophone. This is Charles' composition. It's entitled forest flower. There was the opening tune that Charles Lloyd played and stunned the audience. And, of course, it's now on a classic album entitled Forest Flower. And uh, this was done at the Monterey Jazz Festival, September 18, 1966. And his band, which became, in the late 60s, when the whole world was moving toward the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, um, Jimi Hendrix, um, the Jefferson Airplane, all those bands, people were moving away from jazz, and, and, uh, and yet Charles Lloyd and his band was able to play at some of the most prominent rock palaces and be appreciated as much as um, the current popular groups were. And uh, he broke that, that kind of barrier with that band. And um, it was quite amazing. You can, you can see why, too. I mean, he just had that ab- appeal, and that band was so great. And the people involved, of course, Keith Jarrett on piano. He is um, all of 21 years old. And uh, Cecil McBee on bass, Jack dejanet on drums and one of the great bands in the history of jazz. And they, of course, stayed together right until about 1969 and, uh, and then broke up. But um, this was a triumph for Charles Lloyd, and he um, definitely was. Uh, Cannonball Adderley was right when he told us that Charles Lloyd would be the hit of the 1966 Monterey Jazz Festival. And he was. So there you go. You were Hope you enjoyed that experience. The tune was a Charles Lloyd composition, maybe his most famous, called Forest Flower. Charles Lloyd. And, of course, Charles Lloyd is coming to this year's Jazz Festival. He'll be playing at the Vogue Theatre with his new quartet, uh, Friday, June the 27th. And uh, that's going to be quite a concert at the Vogue. Um, And, of course, the Jazz Festival is... uh, right around the corner right on our doorstep and we uh, would like to acknowledge the Jazz Festival right now
1: the TD Vancouver International Jazz Festival June 20th to July 1st 1800 artists from all over the world 300 concerts 35 indoor and outdoor venues get ready for the best 12 days of music The TD Vancouver International Jazz Festival, June 20th to July 1st. Go to vanjazzfest.ca for details.
0: And that's exactly what you do. You can find out uh, ticket prices, uh, locations of the artists, where they're playing. You can set your own time schedule by uh, going onto that site and uh, all the events and concerts that you would like to hear. And, of course, there's all these, this incredible variety of people coming this year to the Jazz Festival. Bobby McFerrin, um, Charles Lloyd, as I mentioned, Arturo Sandoval, uh, Maceo Parker, uh, Cassandra Wilson... Uh, Christian McBride, Jason Marcellus, Norma Winstone, John Corsford's Hard Rubber Orchestra, and the Darcy James Argue's Secret Society. These two large, very adventurous bands. All kinds of stuff um, is at this year's Jazz Festival. The 29th annual Toronto Dominion Vancouver International Jazz Festival. And, of course, we're proud to have them as a sponsor of this program as well. And speaking of this program, my name is Gavin Walker and this is The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer www.citr.ca. We're going to get into our jazz feature in a very few moments. Uh, I'd just like to tell you a couple of brief things. Of course, another fine website besides the one just mentioned is Brian Nation's website and you can see uh, all kinds of stuff on that website. That's com, and uh, put together by, by Brian and uh, uh, all the small gigs around Vancouver. Uh, we don't have a central uh, place like the cellar was um, now, but there's all sorts of venues that have sprung up uh, in Vancouver. And uh, you best uh, go on to Brian's website and find out who's playing what, where, and when. And, of course, the Jazz Festival, uh, as I said, will have all kinds of things going on. So there you go. That's VancouverJazz.com. Ken Speller, my buddy, who uh, repairs uh, woodwind instruments. He's located at 13th and Lonsdale in North Vancouver. Really, really good repairman. Works from his home, so he keeps his prices very reasonable. He's an excellent musician himself. And knows what's going on when it comes to repairing uh, clarinets, saxophones, um, and the other woodwind instruments. He knows how to overhaul them. He knows how to tweak them and make them sound uh, as good as they possibly can. And, of course, when you play them, you're going to sound as good as you possibly can. So there you go. Ken, as a phone. And it's 778 Or... Um, reach him by email, kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. kspeller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Ken Speller. Good guy to know, uh, especially if you are play a wind, woodwind instrument, uh, saxophone, flute, clarinet, that sort of thing, and you're either a professional, amateur, um, a wealthy doctor <laughs> or a lawyer who dabbles in music. There's a lot of those around actually. Uh, there's bands that uh, are full of uh, doctors and lawyers, uh, and they're pretty good too. Um, people that, uh, um, gave up the idea of music as a career, went into something more, uh, lucrative, provide a more security, but kept up with their music. And, uh, there's that happening too. God, that, that's sort of an interesting syndrome. And, um, Believe me, there's all kinds of uh, doctor and lawyer bands uh, around the country. And um, anyhow, can Speller uh, will put your instrument in shape. So there you go. Our jazz feature tonight is Jimmy Jufri. Jimmy Jufri was born in uh, Dallas, Texas. And uh, he is uh, just such an incredible uh, wide-ranging musician. Um, he stylistically uh, Jimmy has probably explored just about every aspect of of, uh, jazz music and uh, changed his style over the years and and, uh, quite amazing Um, he of course played the clarinet uh, he played flute as well um, and all the saxophones, but he was prominently featured on tenor and baritone saxophone. James Peter Giuffre, uh, was a, of course, a wonderful composer and arranger. We heard some of his, uh, uh large ensemble music earlier on in the show, and he, uh, played with Woody Herman in the uh, late 40s, early 50s, and, of course, wrote the immortal tune Four Brothers. Then he settled in Los Angeles and began to uh, appear with uh, different musicians in the in the Los Angeles area. He joined Howard Rumsey's Lighthouse All-Stars, which um, played at a, a club called the Lighthouse in Hermosa Beach, and uh, the All-Stars were all the top jazz musicians in, uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, Jufri later hooked up with Shorty Rogers, the, the, uh, the trumpeter, and his band, Shorty Rogers and the Giants, and then Jufri went out on his own and, and uh, recorded a number of very interesting albums on Capitol Records with his quartet, and he used the bass and the drums not to state the rhythm, but to play to sort of interchange and uh, he called it implicit rhythm rather than explicit ryth- rhythm. So that was one of his first uh, experiments, some very interesting music. And I remember hating it at first when I first, when I first listened to it. I thought, what, what the hell is that? you know? Uh, but then again, uh, <laughs> I, I later grew up and realized that uh, it was incredible music. Uh, Jimmy's next step was to form um, a trio with guitarist Jim Hall, and uh, bassist uh, Ralph Pena, or uh, later on replaced by Jim Atlas, and uh, Jufrey on his three main instruments, the clarinet, which he had the most distinctive voice on, on the tenor saxophone and the baritone saxophone. And uh, they played kind of blues-based folk jazz. And it was most interesting. We're going to hear the next step on the jazz feature, where he replaced the bass with the valve trombone of Bob Brookmeyer. So, you had a living room band here. You had Brookmeyer on valve trombone, Jim Hall, who was retained on guitar, and Jufri on his instruments. And they did this beautiful album called Travel and Light, and that's the album we're going to feature uh, tonight. Jufri, of course, went on to other things. He um, did arranging and so on. He moved to, finally moved to New York, and... Um, uh, started a new trio which was very avant-garde with uh, uh, Paul Blay on piano and Steve Swallow on bass, and they performed some incredible, um, really outside music, but not not threatening, not not music that was so uh, abstract that you couldn't glom onto. Um, Jimmy also um, did some performing on the tenor saxophone and played very very much like Sonny Rollins, and uh, did all kinds of stuff. And, of course, went into teaching later on in his career and, and continued to uh, to make uh, most interesting music. So that's, that's basically kind of a capsule history of, of Jimmy Juffer. He died April twenty fourth, two 2008. He was born April 26, 1921, in Dallas, as I said. Died April twenty fourth, two 2008. He was 86 years old in his home uh, as a result of uh, Parkinson's disease. So here is this wonderful album called "Traveling Light. It came out on Atlantic Records. It was recorded in January of in, uh, 1958 in New York City. And the tunes that we're going to hear, uh, there's a whole group of Jimmy Jufri original compositions on this album, and we open with one called Picking Up and Laying Down. And uh, that's the first tune. The second tune is a beautiful pastoral piece of music called The Green Country, and that may remind you of, uh, you know, uh, endless fields and flowers and so on and so forth. Very, very beautiful piece of music. Um, Tune number three is called The Lonely Time, uh, another Jew-free composition. Then we go into the title track, which is the Johnny Mercer tune, and it's called "Travelin' Light, and it has kind of a, a nice bluesy feature. Then we go into a great tune by um, Ted Warren and uh, uh, Harry Dubin, and it was called 42nd Street, all about New York. And uh, then a great tune which uh, uh, people sing at parties and so on. The tune is called Show Me the Way to Go Home. And you know that tune. You, you probably sung at uh, campgrounds. Uh, people sing that, that kind of song. And... Um, Juffrey picked that to uh, to be on the album then the tune following show me the way to go home is one called the swamp people uh that's a jimmy jufri composition and the set ends with a tune that, again that everybody knows and and it's one of those campfire type tunes it's called california here i come california here i come right back where i started from and i'm sure we've all sung that in uh, uh, in various contexts, drunk or sober. So <laughs> there, there you go. We're going to hear Jimmy, of course, on his most distinctive instrument, his clarinet, uh, where he plays quietly in the low register of that instrument. Gets a beautiful, woody sound on the instrument. Uh, we'll also hear him on tenor saxophone and baritone saxophone. Jim Hall, the great Jim Hall on guitar, and Bob Brookmeyer on valve trombone. As I said, a living room band here is our jazz feature tonight Jimmy Jufrey traveling light? Hope you enjoy this music. I know you will. <laughs>
3: Mm-mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, Thank <laughs> you.
0: That's our jazz feature album, the Jimmy Jufrey 3. What a unique band. As I said, a, a living room band. As a matter of fact, the cover, uh, the original cover of the Atlantic album, is, has all of them playing in the living room <laughs> with the curtains and the lamp and everything else because they fitted in there. There was no bass, drums, or anything like that, and you could, they played quietly. And uh, it would have worked. Travel and Light was the name of the album. And, of course, Mr. Jufri, the, uh he put together this beautiful little trio. He played the clarinet, the tenor, and the baritone saxophone and arranged all of the music. Bob Brookmeyer was on valve trombone and on guitar the one and only recently departed Jim Hall. Perfect for this band. The... Um, Pieces of music we heard, uh, we opened with Jimmy's uh, great composition called Picking Them Up and Laying Them Down. And then we moved to uh, the next uh, piece of music, which is uh, called The Green Country. And that was kind of like a, a pastoral piece of music. You can imagine, you know, green fields, flowers, endless kind of thing. Very beautiful piece of music. And following that was uh, an equally reflective piece of music called The Lonely Time, all written by Jimmy Giuffre. Then we went to the first um, standard, which actually was a pop tune written by Johnny Mercer, and the tune was uh, a a bluesy interpretation of his tune Travelin' Light, and that was the title of the album. Then we went to a a very different uh, kind of a pop tune, not very often used by Uh, modern jazz guys, but the tune was 42nd Street, written by Harry Warren, and then we heard uh, a campfire tune, Show Me the Way to Go Home, and then uh, another Jimmy Jewfrey composition called The Swamp People, and the final tune was, uh, yes, then uh, there again, another campfire tune, California, Here I Come, written by Al Jolson and a few other people. So there you go. That was the Jimmy Jufrey Three. Uh, another step in the evolution of this most interesting musician uh, who uh, changed courses uh, a lot in music. that's he, he felt that way, and uh, perfected all of his uh, uh, little bands that he put together. And Jimmy went from this kind of music to the outer reaches of the avant-garde as well, and wrote for large and small ensembles. Uh, we're going to play a couple more tunes, but this is from a trio that preceded this one. And we're going to hear two tunes, uh, both written by Jimmy Geoffrey and played, as I said, by the group that he had just before, the one we just heard. And... That included, again, uh, Jim Hall was still there on guitar, Jufrey on all of his horns, and on bass, um, Ralph Pena. And uh, we're going to hear th- two tunes. The first one is called The Crawdad Suite, and the second one is possibly Jufri's most famous composition. And this sort of conjures up a whole country uh, kind of a feel, um, it's, it's a very beautiful piece of music that he recorded several times. It's called The Train and the River. So we're going to turn the spotlight once again onto Jimmy Juprey and his music. Mm-hmm. Two pieces by Jimmy Giuffre and the trio that preceded the one we heard on the jazz feature. And this uh, Mr. Giuffre, of course, playing uh, clarinet, his most distinctive instrument, uh, tenor saxophone and baritone saxophone, along with Jim Hall on guitar and Ralph Pina on bass. And we heard two compositions, both by um, Jimmy Giuffre. The first one was called The Green not the Green Country, uh, The Crawdad Suite, and the second one is one of his most famous compositions, The Train and the River. Jimmy Giuffre, our jazz feature artist this evening. We'd like to close the show with some solo piano, and he is um, one of my all-time favorite piano players. His name is Steve Kuhn, and um, Steve has had a long history in jazz music, you know that he was um, uh, he was a graduate of uh, of uh, of college, and uh, came out and was the first pianist in John Coltrane's band. Uh, Steve Kuhn was, um, and then of course he was replaced by by McCoy Tyner. Steve quit uh, on his own accord. Uh, interestingly enough, he wasn't fired. He he simply said, "I don't think that I can contribute." Um, to your music the way you want. And uh, so I, I, I respectfully um, will hand in my resignation, which he did. And of course, uh, uh, Coltrane always had uh, McCoy Tyner in mind anyway. And, and of course, that opened the door for uh, Mr. Coltrane to hire. McCoy Tyner and uh, and the rest is history. And of course, the quartet. Steve went on to a long career. He's a wonderful composer. Uh, usually works in a trio context, and uh, he's he's just a superb pianist. This is recorded at the uh, May, Maybach Recital Hall in Berkeley, California, in 1990. And this is a, a solo piece. The um, this is a piece of music ostensibly written by Miles Davis but also credited to uh, guitarist Chuck Wayne and uh this um, composition is called Solar and Steve Kuhn kind of makes a symphony out of the whole piece and it's a, it's a really beautiful interpretation and some uh and contains some very exciting solo piano uh Kuhn has has just an incredible touch um at the piano And we'll hear it right now. Steve Kuhn, Solar. Uh. Closing our show this evening, pianist Steve Kuhn recorded at the Maybach Recital Hall doing his interpretation of a tune written by Miles Davis and guitarist Chuck Wayne entitled Solar and uh, Steve Kuhn. I couldn't think of the... Um, famous university he graduated from. He was the first jazz musician to ever graduate from Harvard. (laughs) All right. Um, And that goes way back, of course, and uh, to the the late 50s when he was a young man. He was born in New York. And one of the all-time great piano players, I can't say enough about Steve Kuhn,